that question around, do you want to be a manager or a leader in your career? Authority will, will dictate that you'll continue to be a manager rather than a leader. So that impact on your career from a team perspective. Then from a self perspective, the impact on career is then the inability to manage up or manage laterally. And welcome to the Fast Leader Podcast. HFL is producing the podcast to help the ongoing learning of our alumni of Fast Lead Small Group Coaching and Leadership Development Program. At HFL, we're about helping frontline leaders lead better and be the best leaders they can be, because every employee should have an inspiring leader. Hello, my name is Darren Fox, and I'm your Fast Leader host. And this episode of the Fast Leader podcast is about how to influence without relying on your authority as a manager. Influencing without authority is one of the learning modules we offer in our Fast Leader learning program. And it's another core component of our learning journey in our expertship program for subject matter experts. In both programs, we discuss a, a number of different influencing techniques and the pros and cons. However, in most of this podcast, I'm hoping we might actually have a frank and honest discussion about why it is so important for people leaders to learn how to influence without using the influence they gain from being a manager and what might happen to those who actually never learn this skill. The ability to influence without authority is important for everyone, including experienced managers and anyone with any people leadership responsibilities. Everyone can benefit from a refresher or pick up a new hot tip on this topic. So if there are any long-term leaders listening right now, I hope you also stick with us for the next 30 minutes and maybe even send us some feedback or thoughts about this podcast at our fastly.com website. Joining us today in our podcast is Rachel Grant, Global Head of Talent and Capability at Genesis Care. And we have Wendy Taylor, who's Principal at Tailored Consulting. Welcome, Rachel and Wendy. Thanks, Darren. Hi, Darren. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to ask the question I posed in the introduction, but why is it so important for leaders to influence people in their team or those around them who may have less positional power than them without actually relying solely on the power that their position gives them? Wendy, what are your thoughts? Darren, using influencing skills rather than the power of our position is, is good for our workforce and frankly, also good for us as a leader. Mm. If we only use the authority, then we tend to get compliance and not much more out of people. These days, of course, we're much more interested in engaging with our workforce for the benefit of attraction and retention and and so on. Mm. If we're using influence as opposed to positional power, then we're guiding others' uh, performance in a positive way with positive communication, that obviously contributes to positive relationships and teamwork. Right. It tends to build their job satisfaction and, and ours as well. And through that, we produce not only good results, but also good morale. The bottom line, I guess, is also that it's good for the organisation and employees and good for our leadership brand as a leader. Sure. Thanks, Wendy. Rachel, would anything that you would add to that, but I'd also like to ask you, because of your role as an experienced people leader and because of your experience in human resources, have you seen anything in terms of what the impact might be on the careers of people leaders who rely too much on using their authority? Yeah, a really great question, Darren. And I think definitely having a think about 
what is the impact you want to have as a leader and therefore what do you want to be experienced as Mm -hmm. in terms of the impact on careers I see two main ones and those impacts are how you're experienced across your career either from a team perspective or from a self perspective and and those two aspects is really using influence in the authority sense is really temporary Mm -hmm. so picking up on Wendy's point Really being able to use influence rather than authority means that you wouldn't need to have persistent oversight as a leader. So that question around, do you want to be a manager or a leader in your career? Authority will, will dictate that you'll continue to be a manager rather than a leader. So that impact on your career from a team perspective. Then from a self perspective, the impact on career is then the inability to manage up or manage laterally. So continuing to use positional power or authority to influence limits your ability to have those conversations and influence in different ways. You are using that positional power, but once that's taken away because you are negotiating or trying to influence upwards or, or laterally with your peers, obviously that positional power isn't there. So I would say it hinders their ability to be effective the more senior that they become. So the more senior they become, then there is no one that's necessarily in a positional power different to themselves. So influencing laterally and and upwards becomes quite interesting at that point. Have you seen managers who rely too much on using their positional authority in terms of having their careers flatlined or uh, sidelined because they've proven that they're not able to use any sort of other method of influence? They don't progress. Correct, exactly. So they've used the position of being a people leader or a manager of people versus the ability to influence in that sense. It's a great segue into my other uh, question. So uh, thanks for that. And I might just then turn to Wendy. Another benefit of not using your positional power, I think, is it presents a learning opportunity. So yes, a manager could use their managerial positional authority, but probably won't learn from that. So what might be some of the the learnings that a manager might get by not using their positional power? Mm. Of course, the learning is, is on both sides. If you allow people to express their ideas and apply their skills, then it builds their confidence, their sense of purpose and contribution. If you as the leader are allowing that, then you're harnessing the diversity in your workplace, the bright ideas that come from all levels. That potentially leads to greater innovation and so on. Picking up Rachel's point earlier, one of the great career enhancers is to be a very good developer of people. It's an attribute that uh, organisations very much value. So in terms of fostering other people, you learn from observation of what works, what doesn't work. You learn from the ideas that people generate, uh, your reflections on the differences within your workforce or your team that you observe broadens your own perspective, broadens your own repertoire and makes you more adaptable and versatile yourself, I think. And being an adaptive leader is also a key skill in today's much more complex and dynamic environments. Thank you very much, Wendy. That's some great insights. So that brings us to the end of part one. Part two is going to be right back where I ask our guests to discuss four different approaches we can take to influencing others. And in part three, I'm hoping Wendy and Rachel might share a personal story about someone who influenced them or had a big positive impact on them. (music) 
Experts and technical specialists have never been more important or in demand. But that's not reflected in the leadership training they're given. Unlock the business potential of experts with Expertship, HFL's new development program for the individual contributors, technical specialists, and other experts in your organization. If innovation and business agility are important to you, learn more at expertunity.global. Okay, welcome back to part two of this Fastlated podcast about influencing without using your authority. In the Fastlated program, we discuss nine, count them, nine influencing strategies identified in a famous article in 1992, which is still the, the standard for this topic. There's no right or wrong. However, I think some strategies are sometimes more right and less wrong than others. And many of us probably have an approach that we tend to favor more than others because it's maybe our comfort zone. We're not going to talk about all nine, but anyone listening right now, if they're interested in reading this article, those want to access our fastlead.com website, we'll have a link. The title of the article is, uh, wait for it, Consequences of Influence Tactics Used with Subordinates, Peers, and Bosses from the Journal of Applied Psychology. But like I said, we'll, we'll have a, a link to that article uh, at our fastlead.com site. Four of the nine strategies, which I'm hoping we might talk about, are inspiration, pressure, consultation, and coalition. So Rachel, in the FASI program, we described the inspiration approach as, quote unquote, making a request or proposal that arouses enthusiasm by appealing to values, ideas, aspirations, or by increasing the confidence of others. It makes complete sense that this would be the most powerful influencing strategy, but it's seldom used. Why is that? And what might be some practical tips you would suggest for people listening on how they could best use that inspiration approach? With that definition, obviously, we see quite quickly that the influencing strategy around inspiration should be the one that we default to. Although, as you know, by that research that we've seen, it is actually seldom used across organisations. From my perspective, having had a few different cohorts explore those influencing strategies over the years, it tends to be the one that is either seen as the fluffiest or the hardest to achieve. So I'll go into those two areas. The first one, I guess, around floppiness. And I think that links back to authority or the positional power conversation that we just had. So I think traditionally we saw facts or research or evidence as the way in which we would influence people. So if we go at them with the hard facts, the knowledge and the skills that we have will definitely win them over. Whereas what we're tending to find with a lot of research now, especially around emotional reasoning, it is now actually getting to the hearts and minds of people that really brings them along on that journey. So how do we tap into the values and really connect with our audience? I think that is the transition that we're in, that it has been seen predominantly before as kind of a fluffy subject. And the second area that I think in terms of why it's seldom used is because it is seen as hard. Mm. So to connect in with the hearts and minds of people and really understand your audience and who you're trying to influence is a hard skill to have. So how do you have a framework around understanding your stakeholders or understanding your team or understanding the person that you're influencing? We tend to be focused on our own view and the information that we're trying to get across to the people. You know, I need them to understand this change. They need to know why we're doing this and the benefits rather than focusing on their point of view and and what benefits they would see, Mm. um, which leads me into my tips and tricks. 
So from a tips perspective around using influence, I have probably three main ones. The first one goes to know your audience. So if you're using inspiration as a tactic, how can you create a shared understanding of the topic at hand? So do you all have the same level of information or understanding about what you're trying to discuss? The second one is, do you have an understanding of what's in it for them? So we generally talk about the WIFM, so what's in it for me? For that group, do you have that understanding? Or in the conversation, can you gather that understanding as well? Use it as an opportunity to say, this is what we're going to discuss. What do you see as the benefits? And really use your influencing tactics for inspiration around questioning. And then the third tip I would have is using storytelling. So the greatest tip around influencing through inspiration is can you bring it to life? You want to connect with their values and their sense of enthusiasm for a topic. Mm. So how do you bring that to life through storytelling that really connects them to those benefits and outcomes that are specific to their environment? Just to comment on Rachel's points there, one of the things that I see with people in fast lead pods in terms of the things they value about a leader is somebody who is genuine, who is personable, who shares something of themselves Mm. as a basis for trust and mutual exchange. And I think that's where a lot of inspiration sort of hits the home. You know, if you can speak to people from the heart and talk to them about your own values and the connections, you know, how you live those as a leader, I think that also assists uh, people to engage with you at a more personal level. Great. Thank you. might just add for our listeners that in terms of inspiration, another helpful podcast would be the podcast that we produced on how leaders might create and embed a sense of purpose for the team and how that can be used to inspire and motivate their people. Wendy, what about the consultation strategy? What is that and what might be the right and wrong time to use it? Okay. Consultation strategy. So the definition that FastLead uses of the consultation strategy is the person seeks participation in planning a strategy, activity or change for which the other person's support and assistance are desired or willing to modify their own proposal to deal with the other person's concerns and suggestions. Mm. In terms of how that applies in real life, Rachel mentioned earlier the importance of identifying the stakeholders in whatever change or activity you're seeking to progress. So that's certainly the first step is to identify who are the stakeholders up and down and laterally in the organisation that you want to or that you need to engage with to achieve your goals or objectives. Consultation works best when you really engage with those people. And by that, I mean in a very genuine way. Yes, you may have common goals and interests. That's why they're a stakeholder. But you've really definitely got to be willing to listen and to adapt your approach in light of that consultation to be seen as genuine. The important thing is to start with that sort of premise in mind and to invest time in engaging with people, to listen to them. Investing in the relationship Mm. is a benefit of this as well. And it certainly helps you partner with your stakeholders in terms of a joint accountability, a joint contribution to achieving the objective. Mm. So similarly, it goes back to Rachel's earlier comment about building some of your lateral 
relationships and collateral and influence, which makes you a good team player generally, not just in your own team, but across the organisation. As a result of that, of course, you tend to get more sustained change, more buy-in to change and a better outcome. Mm. What might be the right and wrong time to use a consultation strategy? Darren, there's also a wrong time to use consultation. And picking up Rachel's point, one of the wrong times to use something uh, such as consultation is when you haven't actually got the time to consult, when the risks are too high or too compelling and a decision needs to be made very quickly. WHS issues are a classic example of that. The other time when not to use it is when you can't actually be genuine. And an example is when an organisation has already made a decision and going out and consulting, say, the employees about a restructure where the decisions of what and how and when have already been made is just not credible and, in fact, is likely to damage that sort of employee contract. Thanks, Wendy. Inspiration and consultation are are two of the strategies that are more right than wrong. But what about a couple that might be more wrong than right, such as coalition and using pressure? The coalition strategy might require a bit of explanation because the term coalition is normally a positive term. However, in the article and in the FASLI program, is a bit more about ganging up almost. It's described as seeking the aid of others to persuade someone to do something or uses the support of others as a reason for a person to agree with you. So Wendy, I'm going to turn back to you again. Do you think there's ever a right time to use coalition strategy? Mm -hmm. And when is that and how might it be done in a way that is still respectful? Uh, Yes, I do think there are right times. And I think, in fact, this is in some ways a more complex version of influencing to get it right. right. An example might be when you need to engage with key decision makers to achieve your aims and goals, but you may not easily have access to those people. You know, it's hard to get heard or or listened to by someone like that. Someone like a third party may have better access to that person and can, if you like, broker some conversation between you so that you do get a good hearing and can make your case with a third party who might be a key decision maker or key influencer. The other time I think is the right time, again, uses a third party. It's where perhaps there's some past history between you and a stakeholder, the someone that you're trying to influence. And that's creating a barrier to consultation. It's creating a barrier to action. It's creating a barrier perhaps to them listening to you objectively. And if you want to move past that or resolve that in your relationship, then using a third party can assist you to moderate those emotions, to talk to one another objectively, to maintain safety in what might get to be a touchy conversation at times, and to move past that so that you can, in fact, get back to status quo, if you like, or get back to a situation where you can work together, even if there has been some past history. Mm. So how to do it respectfully? The key issue there is to be genuine in your approach. Recognise whether there are real benefits of coalition to both parties, where there will be some joint value in the process. Be transparent with people. Be upfront 
basically, about what you're trying to achieve. And that's why you've chosen to use that approach, a third person, perhaps. Thanks, Wendy. So that was coalition. Rachel might turn to you and talk about the least right of the nine influencing strategies, or at least I think it's the least right. And uh, that one's pressure. So my question to you is the same about coalition is that, is there a right time to use pressure? And in what is the best way to use pressure without permanently impacting your relationships? Thanks, Darren. I'm glad you've given me your least favorite influencing strategies. Just the tough question straight out of the bat. You're welcome. So I think definitely in terms of pressure, we similar to Wendy, I think it's having a think about what is the genuine use of pressure? You know, when is that going to achieve the right goal for the situation? Right. So from a perspective, we can definitely in any coaching pods that we've had or any workshops before, everyone tends to take it to the extreme when we talk about pressure. So when we first think of that, it's a leader or the manager that's really putting in a lot of efforts to make you think that you have to achieve something really quickly or influencing you in a particular way that makes you feel pressured or stressed. So right to that kind of end point of that stress continuum. If we pull back from those extreme situations, I would say the definition of pressure in a respectful or or a positive manner is one in which you have a particular deadline or a level of anxiety that needs to be there in order for something to be achieved effectively or efficiently. Mm. And if we think about that, then I think the best time to use pressure or the right time to use pressure is when you do have a sense of a deadline or a need that is genuine. And for me, especially in the environment that I tend to work in is healthcare. So if there is a high risk element that's associated with that particular element, then a level of pressure might be needed in order to really create that slight sense of anxiety that really gives the need to move or act in that environment. So I know when we all have that sense of of a deadline or or a risk associated, we tend to then move to action quite quickly. So it's the essence of using pressure not to create stress, but because there is a stress factor already present. It kind of be my, my version of the right way to use it. In terms of using it without permanently impacting relationships is to take out the personal element. So how can you take the problem out of the situation and deal with it separately from the people that are involved? So for example, if you do in a healthcare environment have a risk element that has come into a particular centre, so we may have a situation where quality or, or risk has been identified, it's presenting it as a problem to be shared and solved together rather than the people that were involved or the blame associated to the situation. Yeah, so explain the pressure. Exactly. Right. Thanks, Rachel. So that brings us to the end of part two of this fascinating podcast. Please stay with us for our third and final part, where our two guests share a personal story about a time someone strongly influenced them. Are you a frontline leader ready for your next step? Fast Lead Plus is a program of short, sharp, small group coaching sessions to prepare you to take that next step. In a small, tight-knit group, you're coached by an experienced leadership mentor with plenty of time between sessions to practice new skills and tools. Improve your leadership capability and confidence. Learn more at fastlead.com.
welcome back. And we are in our third and final section of this Fascinated podcast. We sometimes like to finish the last section of the podcast with some personal reflection or story. I'm hoping that both of you would be willing to share a quick story about a time someone inspired you in such a way that caused you to significantly change your opinion or take a new course of action. Wendy, what about you? Uh, thanks for the advance notice, Darren. I, I did think of a few examples. In fact, over my life, teachers and managers have influenced me in both positive and negative ways at times. I thought particularly of a, a CEO that I had early in career. I had worked in the government previously and was fairly new to the private sector. This was the CEO who was way less hierarchical than I was used to from my government experience. Right. I can remember that we started to have fairly regular conversations fairly informally. You know, I might have dropped something into his office and he would say, oh, you know, you've got a minute, have a sit. And what he had a habit of doing, which at first put me on the back foot, was he had a good tactic of using very insightful and informed questions about my areas of responsibility. And the, the sense that he was paying attention, even though I was a couple of layers down the organisation from him, the fact that he would talk to me, you know, very casually, informally and directly as the CEO was a positive, for one thing, felt like I was being paid attention to. But also his insightful questions showed me that he was taking a genuine interest. And the effect of that was, frankly, for me to lift my game. I recognised that he, he would have this kind of conversation with me regularly. And so I, I stepped up to a more strategic focus of my portfolio on responsibilities. I stepped up in terms of demonstrating more results so I could talk to those results with him. It was a useful early career lesson, I think, and his style of leadership that, you know, relaxed and equitable with all employees, no matter where they were in the place or in the levels, was also something that I took a great lesson from as a leader in the business. Mm. It's a really good example in terms of the impact of a leader actually having a, a deep conversation and the impact of those insightful questions proving that he was genuinely listening and genuinely interested in what you had to say rather than going, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's interesting. And then, you know, moving on and getting his or her coffee. Thanks, Wendy. And Rachel, you have a, a story that you might be able to share? Sure. Again, I think similar to Wendy, I've got a, a few examples over the time and I kind of struggled to pick out which one to share on this podcast. And I thought flipping the coin a little bit, I think, is to one where I've had someone influence myself in a position where they didn't have authority. So they weren't a leader mm. in that sense. And so really changed my perspective of the situation or, or the project that we were working on. So I had a, a junior team member that had started and was their first four weeks in role and they came in as a kind of an analyst or coordinator role and we were working on a quite a significant project around rebranding the organisation and really building the culture around the organisation. I had a pretty specific way that I wanted to approach the project and I think by being able to influence in a way that questioned my thoughts and my opinions in the matter right. this new team member who would usually be seen as quite junior across the organization I was able to have a different point of view in that situation and 
the way that they really went about that was really having a think about what values we wanted to have as a team across the project. So what is it that we wanted to see ourselves influence across the organisation? What was the impact we were hoping to have and really influence me that the way in which I thought was right may not have been going to lead to that particular outcome. So I think having that ability to really demonstrate influence without any positional power across the organisation was something that I took away that there are different ways that we can look at having an impact across the organisation as a team and therefore really using those influencing strategies on me, which I would usually train others to use as well, which was quite interesting. Great. Thanks, Rachel. Sounds like both of you are essentially implying that the power of, of a good question can make a huge difference in terms of influencing and, and directing people. And I guess it reminds me of another podcast that we've done for our listeners that might be interested around coaching and developing others, which is essentially how to ask a bunch of good questions to develop your staff. So thanks for your great insights into influencing others uh, without using your authority. Before we sign off, I'm wondering if both of you could say a few words about the organizations and the services that you provide. So, Rachel, can you talk a bit about Genesis Care? I sure can, Darren. So, obviously, Genesis Care is a healthcare organization. So, we are a private healthcare provider operating at the moment across Australia, the UK, Spain, and now the US with a recent acquisition of 21st Century Oncology in the US, which is very exciting for us. We are a private healthcare provider of both oncology and cardiology services. So looking at the two biggest disease burdens across the globe in terms of cancer and heart disease. So quite a big purpose and mission statement that we have as an organisation. And I feel very passionate to be obviously a part of, of that kind of organisation. So we have quite a number of technical experts across the organisation, those in leadership as well, and the focus of, of our mission there is to build the best talent across our organisation. So we do partner with HFL and this organisation across different programs that we run in Genesis Care to really build the talent across our organisation so that we bring the best patient experience to life as well. Thank you, Rachel. And Wendy, can you tell us a bit about Tailored Consulting? Thanks, Darren. Taylor Consulting has just celebrated, in fact, in the last month, uh, 25 years in business. So that's a nice milestone. Oh, congratulations. Taylor Consulting is my own business and I work with another director and also with associates as projects require. We provide services to both organisations and to individuals. At the organisational level, the main focus is around organisation development, such as workforce development in response to changing business circumstances, very topical at the moment, (laughs) strategy development through to implementation, organisation change, culture change, etc., being typical examples. In amongst that, there would be training facilitation of key groups, perhaps the design of corporate governance and performance management systems, etc., to reflect the culture and what the employee contract and values of that organisation might be. For individuals, it's largely coaching in the areas of leadership and personal effectiveness and also guidance in terms of career stages. Thank you. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this Fast Aid podcast. Thank you so much, Rachel, and thank you, Wendy. 
for agreeing to participate in this podcast and passing on some great insights and hints and tips to our listeners. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. Until next time, we'll see you at our next podcast or hear us at our next podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Fast Leader Podcast. I'm Darren Fox, Chief Research Officer and Principal Consultant at HFL. You can email us at info at fastly.com with any questions. We'd love to hear ideas about topics for future podcasts. You can also check out the FastLead website, fastly.com, for supporting material from this podcast. Watch out for our future podcasts as we explore each of the 14 FastLead topics in more detail and discuss some of the latest management research, news, and topical issues of the day. And until next time, this has been the FastLeader Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.